Hello, I'm Kenny White. I'm the lead campus pastor at Shakopee, and today we're talking about parenting. So to keep me honest, we ask that Lou, my oldest son, would uh, join us. And if you see him rolling his eyes or anything, then you'll know that there's a story there. But uh, Lou is my oldest son. He's 24 and has a sense of God's call in his life and is discerning what that means exactly, but I'll go ahead and let you introduce yourself, Lou. Yeah, so uh, my name's Lou, and i um, 24. I've gotten to preach a couple times at a couple different churches, and um, this last week my dad asked me, hey, let's, uh, let's see if we can do something together and just kind of bounce off each other and see what, uh, what God will have in store for us. Um, I've been married two years to my wife, Lily. Say hi, Lily. I like to embarrass her when I can um, and so I'm super excited to get to be here today with my dad, and uh, thank you so Great much job. for thank having you. me. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> no, um, thank you so much, Friendship Church, for allowing me to be up here with you guys today. Um, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day, and thank you for this time that we get today. Lord, I know that our, our time is short, so I pray that... Uh, not our words be said, but yours, and that um, the people today, their hearts would be blessed with this message. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks, Lou. Well, we are talking about parenting today, and uh, anybody batting a thousand? Yeah. <laughs> there, there are some home runs from time to time, but there are also a lot of strikeouts. And uh, our hope today is to be able to have uh, a real conversation to look at the Word of God and see what God's plan is, uh, not, just, not just for marriage, as Pastor Joel shared last week, but also the haven uh, of, of family, and that God has a special plan for family. And in fact, over the course of the last 40 years, there have been a, a lot of studies done, and the, the studies have come back with, well, the answers are conclusive. The way that we view our parents affects and infects the way that we see God. And so God has a special place for families. And God has a special plan for parents. And a part of that is how we understand God. And so sometimes those are very positive things. And sometimes because of the impact that we have, the way that we see God is that we think maybe God is angry with us, or perhaps that God is absent, or perhaps that we're angry with God. And some of those things are influenced and impacted by parenting. Now, the reality is, and, and all of us, I, I think intuitively, we, we know this to be true, but we don't always live it. And, and that's despite the fact that our parents affect the way that we see God, the reality is that God does not look like our parents. In other words, we look like our parents. <laughs> we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. And we have to recognize that, that God is the perfect example. And if we, if we miss that piece, then we may miss the whole plan uh, that God has for us. So with that in mind, what I would like to do is just walk through where are we going today? Well, let me tell you. First of all, uh, we're going to identify some lies we tell ourselves. The reality is we live in a fallen world, and because we live in a fallen world, sometimes we drink in lies uh, on accident. We just, uh, suddenly we've seen them, we've heard them, we've tasted them so many times 
that we just assume that they're real. And some of them have elements of truth which makes it uh, believable, uh, but they're not. So we're going to identify a few of those. This list is not exhaustive, but we're going to highlight three main ones. And then we're also going to talk about some truths that we live in. So what does the Word of God say about parenting and uh, the, the, the reality of where we actually do live? And then we're going to try to make something that has been very abstract more concrete. And that's the gospel in our homes. What does the gospel in our homes look like uh, practically? Not just uh, the four gospels in the New Testament, like we're not talking about just reading that, but actually applying the fact that we're sinners, we need a savior, God died on the cross for our sins. He conquered sin and death. He rose from the grave. He gives life to us, and he's coming again. How does that practically work into our lives? And not in a Sunday school sort of way, but in a, a very real concrete way. So we'll talk about that. And then finally, there is this reality that we can get off course. We can't think of parenting as driving down a road, but rather more like being in a boat on an ocean. And as we're, as we're trying to navigate these waters and get to a specific de destination, we recognize that the winds and waves pull us in different directions. And sometimes we have to do on-the-spot course corrections. And so we'll talk about how to more closely follow the Lord in our homes. Uh, with that in mind, Lou, I'm going to have you just kind of jump right in, and let's talk about this first point together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things about being a pastor's kid is... Uh, we got to go to church a lot. Um, not just on Sundays, not just on Sunday mornings, but Sunday evenings, and Monday evenings, and Wednesday nights, and Friday nights, and we got to be there a lot. Um, most oftentimes, it was not by choice. It wasn't what we necessarily wanted to do with our Mondays and our Sunday mornings, and um, I think if I would have had the choice growing up, I probably would have been raised more by Cartoon Network and Captain Crunch. Um, but the cool thing about being told to go to church is I got to see lives change. I got to see um, some miraculous things happen to a lot of people, and a lot of times we tell ourselves this lie that um, a child's just going to decide to follow God without any prompting, without any um, help. But we, we really do need that help. In Proverbs it says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this is actually a... Um, it's not a promise. It's more of a prompting uh, principle. Principle. <laughs> uh, so that means that most oftentimes when you're training up a child, most oftentimes when he's old, he will not depart from it. Not every time, but often this is the formula. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. I mean, just a lot, of, a lot of times I'll hear this coming through my office that, hey, we're just going to let our children uh, decide on their own. And there is an element of truth to that. I mean, all of us need to have that, that, that time in our lives when we make a profession of faith and we own our faith, right? Like I follow Jesus, not because mom and dad told me to, but because I know that Jesus actually is the only one who can save me and I have a personal relationship with him. So there, there isn't an element of truth to that, 
But there's also just the practical step, and we even see this in Deuteronomy, that there, there's a responsibility that as parents, we get to have to lead our children to the Lord and to give them opportunities to see God at work, like Lewis saying. Sometimes, uh, sometimes those intangibles, like, we don't factor those in. So what I'm saying is there have been times when uh, uh, Cindy is my wife, uh, she and I have, you know, we, we've shared, this is what God will do, and, and, but it's not until our kids are present and they actually see that that's true in someone else's life before you actually yeah. believe that we're telling the truth, right? I mean, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, you don't th know. that's the reality. So uh, train up a child. I do appreciate how Lou said that, that this, is, this isn't a, a promise as much as it's a principle. So a promise would be something like, thus saith the Lord. A, um, a prophecy, for example, would be a promise. We know that there's historical context that something is going to happen, and we know beyond the shadow of a doubt it's going to happen. Jesus' return, we know that it's going to happen. Uh, beyond the shadow of a doubt, he's coming back for his church, and we can celebrate that. That is a promise. A principle, however... It, it, it's how we live it out, you know? In general, when we do this, in general, this will happen. But I've heard a lot of people be wounded by this, you know, I've, I've trained up my child, I did everything, and they've, they've gotten older and they have departed. And so we're actually going to deal with this a little bit later, if you're wondering, but we wanted to, first of all, talk about that first slide. Let's jump into the second one. We are friends. Um, Growing up, you just kind of assume you're friends with your family. You know, you, you start going to school, you get friends, and there's a certain way that you talk to your friends that you don't necessarily, or shouldn't necessarily talk to your family, uh, your parents especially. I remember one Wednesday evening, it was a prayer night, and um, everybody's head was, was bowed, and I think my mom was telling me to do something that I didn't want to do, so Not I Not everybody's head was bowed. Okay. Yeah, okay, you caught me, Yeah. <laughs> No, so uh, mom was telling me to do something I didn't want to do, and I mouthed off to her. And somehow my dad, whose head was also not bowed apparently, he caught me. <laughs> and he saw me say something to my mom that I should not have. And then the hair on the back of my neck stood up, and he looked at me and he pointed, and he was like, go into the other room. I was like, oh, shoot, okay. We got into the other room, and he was like, what would you say to mom? my wife. And I was like, oh, I don't want to say it. But I did. And he's like, okay, I love you, but that's my wife. And if you ever talk to her like that again, we're going to have a much more serious conversation. And I was like, I thought this was the serious conversation. <laughs> What's happening? Um, needless to say, I, I didn't talk to her like that again. I don't think I have. Well, that's good. <laughs> um, but the point in telling that is that was a point in my life where I got disciplined and I course corrected, and I'm not, I stopped going the way I was going. Um, in Proverbs 13, 24, it says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Yeah, and just along with that, our kids are going to have tons of friends, and that's great. Uh, they only have one set of parents. And we, have, we get to operate in that, in that role of parent and directing and encouraging our children to the Lord. And the, the passage that Lou just read, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Uh, I, I don't want you to get caught off and go, okay, are we talking about capital punishment? Or are we talking about spankings? What are we talking about here? 
We're talking about discipline. Let's leave it at that at this moment, okay? That's the direction we're going. And the point is that we have a responsibility as parents to put parameters and to discipline our children uh, in a way that we wouldn't our friends. I mean, that's one of the reasons that uh, it doesn't work. Sure, we can be friendly as families. We should be. Like, I love my son. We, we have a great time together, and we have a friendly uh, relationship. And yet, even as adults, I recognize there's a boundary that I can't cross as a parent. But uh, more specifically, when you're thinking of a friend, like, we would never do this with a friend. The way that you just spoke to me really aggravated me, and you need to go to your room. <laughs> And don't come out until you've thought about it. Like, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have those kind of conversations with a friend. Uh, that's one of the identifiers that, as parents, we do something a little bit different, and our boundaries are a little bit different. Uh, let's go ahead and jump to the third point. This should be easy. Let me, let me start this yeah, off. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> sure. I, I don't know, for those of you who are married, just, just so I can kind of see a percentage, how many of you are married? Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Great. Okay, so I don't know if it was like this for you. For me, it was. It maybe even wasn't for Cindy. I'm not sure. But, <laughs> I, you know, we were dating, and life was so dreamy. Oh, it was great. And, and she was perfect. I was perfect. And we knew that, oh, one day we're going to get married, and everything is just going to work out perfectly, I'm sure of it. And and we got married, and things worked out really well, and the first week we remained perfect. But after that, we started to realize that, okay, maybe things aren't as, as easy as we thought they would be. And so we began to talk about uh, more specifics with having children. And so we read books, right? And uh, in reading books, we got all of the answers, so we knew how we were going to raise kids so that they would be the perfect kids and we would be the perfect parents. And very frankly... You nailed it on me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, well uh, no, with... Sorry, I got off at like, how many stories do I want to tell? With, with Lou, we read the books and they said, A plus B equals C. Okay, A plus B equals C. And with Lou, we did A and B, and guess what? It equaled C. And we were like, we got this thing figured out, and uh, Lou is going to be the perfect child, and we're going to be the perfect parents, and it's great, and things worked. And then we had our second child, who is a son. He's a Marine now, and there's a certain personality that wants to be a Marine. I think I don't have to say anything else about that. Uh, we, we love our son. He's an awesome kid. But when we did A plus B with him, it never, ever, ever equaled C. It's not going to be easy. And they may share DNA, but that doesn't mean they're going to be the same in every way. And uh, this is an example of that. And kind of the direction that we wanted to take this is recognizing it's not going to be easy because we live in a fallen world. And it's, it's not just the parents have fallen, but also the children are fallen. And it's not just that the children, it's that the parents individually and corporately take it away, Lou. So this verse, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Um, I remember a time when we were in middle school, me and my brother, and we, we really wanted to go snowboarding that Sunday. And um, dad was preaching, and I think we were sick. 
And so me and my brother was like, let's go snowboarding. So okay. Yeah, so we, so we got on our boots and snowed pretty hard that morning. And we got out on the, on the slope and we were ready. And we were having a lot of fun. And then our neighbor, Miss Betsy, came over. And she looks up at us and goes, what the heck are you guys doing on the roof? <laughs> In my head, snowboarding off the roof was a fine, not foolish thing to do. Turns out I could have gotten really hurt, and, um, but that's our default setting is to be so, so careless. Folly is bound up <laughs> in the heart of a child, and we all have those kind of stories, although I've found out several of them this week that I wasn't aware of. <laughs> or maybe I forgot on purpose. Yeah, I'm not sure. blocked it out. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I was still going through PTSD, you know. <laughs> Anyways, but it's not just folly on the child's side. There's, there's also this reality that we live in that uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and also the wages of sin is death. Meaning this, that it's not just uh, children that struggle with folly and sin, but also parents. And so uh, the system may be perfect, but we are imperfect. Mm -hmm. And so it's not going to be easy. And so if we are romanticizing parenting in that way, we're going to be very disappointed. The good news is that actually reminds us why we need a savior. And it turns out that none of us are him. Let's continue on. Here are some truths that we live in. Parenting is a spiritual matter. And uh, for, for some of you, you, you may immediately mentally go to this place and um, we're going to identify that. And that's this, an us versus them mentality. So it may be, the kids are against us, honey. It's just me and you, and we got to weather the storm. Uh, okay, so that's, that's one idea, I, idea, right? It's a mentality that some families have. Another one is some sort of triangulation that, okay, the one kid and dad are against mom or mom and one kid are against dad and, and so that can happen. But the reality is this is more a spiritual matter than it is any other thing. Lou, go ahead and grab that. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of times, especially in a, in a child's heart, we get this um, frustration with our parents where it's like, they're just mean to us for no reason. Well, they're just overbearing. They're just this or that and we don't realize what's going on in their lives and in their hearts. And um, there's this spiritual battle that's taking place every single day, whether we uh, realize it or not, it's there. And not only in the parent's heart, but in the child's heart as well. Um, you know, you wake up frustrated and angry for no reason, and you never know what, what's going on in the heavenly realms. And I, I, there's been so many times where I've woken up frustrated and angry and then finding out later that uh, my dad's been praying for me that night and then the rest of the day goes better, uh, stuff like that. I don't know if you wanted to talk a little more about that. Yeah, I mean, I, again, because it's a spiritual matter, we, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And and that certainly is true even in parenting. And uh, for many of you, you'll relate to this, those middle-of-the-night prayer times where you, you wake up and you, one of the kids are on your heart and you just have, you have to pray for them right then. And, 
And later you find out, okay, there was a, a nightmare that they were working through, or in some cases, a very physical and real situation that God somehow supernaturally worked through, and a part of that was in the prayer time that you spent. Now, I will also say this. You don't have to wait to be woken up in the middle of the night uh, by the Spirit of God to pray for kids. <laughs> so uh, I encourage that as a regular practice that we're, that we're praying for our kids but it is a spiritual matter and something that, again, we can't overlook that. It's not us versus them. It's a spiritual issue. And then secondly, Luke, go ahead and grab it. God is the best parent. Um, I think we expect a lot of the times for our parents to be perfect and without sin. Um, that's not our parents. That's God. And that's who we need to be focused on and, and understanding and and leaning into is how God our Father treats us and, and what he wants for us and these principles that he has written out for us that we can find so easily. Um, it's so important to reframe our brain that God is the best parent and God is the parent that I'm uh, trying to please. And it's not going to work, but he's already died for us and um, he's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Amen. And I, I think along with that, and I, my prayer is that this brings a little bit of hope for us, that even though God is the perfect parent, Adam, <laughs> his first son, is uh, imperfect. Adam chooses rebellion. And in choosing rebellion, though Adam walked with God, he talked with God, they, they were physically in the same, he audibly could hear God's voice Despite all of that being true, uh, Adam chose rebellion, even having the perfect dad. And the reality is that sometimes um, our children choose rebellion over obedience. And that, it's a tough place to live, but it's a reality. Despite that, God is perfect. And instead of us projecting our uh, perspective of our parents onto God, we have to look past that to say, okay, God is perfect, and one of the things that he has for us in this place uh, is for us to line up with him, and the reality is we need him, whether we're talking yeah. from a parental perspective or a child's perspective. And then we have Jesus, and as Jesus uh, enters the, the, the world, this, this human plane, he submits to the will of the Father, recognizing that uh, God's words are, are words of life. His Father's words are words of life. Nobody cares for Jesus more than his Father. And he lives a life in submission uh, to his Father, but also to his parents. And we see that in a variety, uh, in a variety of places, uh, even in the way that he respects Mary in the first miracle. And uh, even, even though he says, my time has not yet come, the request of his mother trumps that. And in that moment, and I, I recognize that that's a, a very, it, it's a more full discussion we could have with that, but I recognize in that moment that Jesus is still being obedient to his earthly mother and caring for what she's requested in submission. With that in mind, there are no guarantees. I wish there were. I wish that A plus B always equaled C, uh, just like the books say. I, I wish that were the case, but the reality is they don't. And, and I'll tell you that even preparing, so I preached the same message last week in Shakopee, and preparing that message was very difficult. And one of the reasons it was difficult is because there was a little bit of conflict 
uh, with myself and one of the kids. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. It wasn't. It wasn't. It, <laughs> oh, you did. I was like, hey. <laughs> no, it was. Uh, but, but walking through that together and recognize the spiritual nature of it and praying together was very helpful in, in stepping back, organizing some, some thoughts and being able to preach without feeling like a hypocrite uh, about it. The point is there are no guarantees and there are seasons in life where uh, this stuff is hard and sometimes we get up to bat and we swing and we miss and sometimes our kids swing and miss and there are no guarantees. Train up a child in the way that they'll go and when they grow old they won't depart is a principle that we grab a hold of but I'll tell you that I've had more than one person be in my office crying at the fact that one of their children has gone wayward and doesn't seem to be coming back in their old age. And then they're beating themselves up going, I trained them, I told them, I brought them to church, I spoke life into them, they were in our small group, they were a part of our church softball team, they did, you know, and all these things and all this stuff. Uh, I'll just tell you that it's so easy as a parent uh, to embrace shame and to own things that really are beyond us to own. What can we do? What God calls us to do. Recognizing that there are no guarantees at the end. Let's continue on. So the gospel in our homes. This is one of our, our hopes as we're talking about this. Is that we can make something a little bit more concrete that's pretty abstract. How do you get the gospel uh, in our homes beyond uh, the first four books of the so I'm not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm not talking about the Gospels. I'm talking about the Gospel. We're sinners. We need a Savior. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He conquered sin and death. He rose from the grave. He gives life to anybody who would call on him. And he's coming again. I'm talking about that Gospel that's outlined in 1 Corinthians. So, how does that come in? Because I, I think especially in the evangelical church, we have this tendency to use the gospel for a moment of salvation and forget to use the gospel day by day by day by day, and especially in our homes. If we could look at the scriptures as one narrative where the gospel is weaving from Genesis through Revelation and pulling it all together, uh, I, I think that, that it, it may open this up a little bit more. And here's, what, here's where I'm going with that. One of the prophets uh, comes in Malachi, in Malachi chapter 4, and he's, he's going to give a prophecy about what's going to happen when the Savior comes. And he's going to talk about a variety of things, but one of the things that he ends the book with is when the Savior comes, the hearts of the Father will be towards their children, and the hearts of the children will be towards their father. And as far as I can tell, there's no end date on that. Mm. Now, what I mean by that is this, that when the Messiah is present in our homes, the heart of the father is toward the children, and the heart of the children is toward the father. That, that seems to be a part of it. So, so that's one aspect that, as I'm, as I'm building a little bit of context around this, that I think we need to embrace. There is a responsibility. And by the way, that doesn't mean that's not always a feeling, right? Like sometimes we may not feel like, as Luz said, sometimes I didn't feel like I wanted to be obedient. And sometimes we as parents, we don't feel like we, we want to do whatever with our kids. We don't want to be as hands-on. We want to be a little more laissez-faire. We want to let them make their own choices and deal with And sometimes that's appropriate, but sometimes it's not. With this in mind, uh, 
the early church had a bunch of, of Jews who were getting saved. And they were receiving Jesus as their Messiah. And they recognized that there were these 613 rules to be obedient to. And some of what we're about to talk about really makes a lot of sense. And Jesus fleshes it out in a new and in a fresh way. And then there were a bunch of Gentiles, these pagans, who were coming to the Lord. And they were getting saved. And they recognized that they couldn't save themselves. And that their God couldn't, the, the God of their families couldn't save them. But this God of Israel made a lot of sense. And, and they knew that they knew that they knew that. Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the grave and there is testimony of people who had actually been there. But now applying that into their homes is the tricky part. And so uh, with the wisdom of the Spirit of God, they have to make some decisions. And so Ephesians is written to a group of people who in some ways don't have the same background, but in all ways want to go in the right direction to follow God. And so we're going to see in just a few moments how this plays out. Again, keeping in mind that we're all insufficient in and of ourselves. That I, I can't fix, I don't have all of the answers for my family. Uh, I can't fix every problem in my home. That, uh, that our children, they're similarly, they don't have all of the answers, they can't fix everything. All of us are insufficient, which drives us back to the Savior. We need Jesus, we need him to meet us in this place. And that's where we get uh, uh, this direction. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn there. Uh, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 21. And I'm going to have Lou read here in just a moment. And we're going to go through it and kind of stop as we go because there are a few problem areas. Not problem in terms of it's bad, but problem in the way that we sometimes understand it. So we're going to pause on a few of those, highlight them, and then come back together. All right. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Stop. Thanks, Lou. <laughs> it's very, very important that we read that line. Submitting to one another. So as a father, as a husband, my responsibility is submitting to my family, uh, to my wife, to my children. Some of us don't like that word submitting. Uh, and I understand it has, it's, it's been handled so many different ways and touched that it's kind of, uh, it's kind of greasy. It's like, ugh, I don't, I don't like the attachment that comes along with that word. Well, let me give you one that, that maybe isn't as uh, greasy, <laughs> and that's serving. Serving one another it kind of holds on to that idea of submission. My, goal, uh, my responsibility as a husband, as a father, is to serve. Uh, it's very important that we understand that as we go into this next sentence that Lou is really going to expand on. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Go ahead, Lou. You're doing great. Uh, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I set him up on that one. But uh, a lot of times, uh, this, that sentence is just read in and of itself, right? Yeah. Wives, submit your, to your own husbands. And and again, there's a lot of attachment to that. What about an abusive spouse? What about someone who mentally abuses? There's a lot attached to it. I, I understand that. But I, I would say that part of it is our focus, and, and um, that's that we're not putting it in context, that we're all supposed to be submitting to one another. What is being stated is actually just being restated from the sentence before that we're supposed to be serving one another and, and caring. If anything, the emphasis seems to be on your own husband 
And uh, without going into all the cultural context, the, the idea that it, it's very specific to your own husband. And, and I'll tell you that in our culture is very reflective of uh, the problem that they had in uh, Ephesus. And, and this is what I mean by that that many people work outside of their home. And so under the authority of the place of your work, there is submission and service. And then to come back into our homes and be in that same position of love, of serving, uh, that's, that's not always done. And perhaps that's the emphasis here, submitting, serving your own husband. And again, just like in the sentence before it, for Christ, as to the Lord, it says. So this service is, is actually a service to Christ. So the reason that I want to serve my wife is not because she's earned it. it it's because I want to serve the Lord, and this is a way that I practice. The way that we want to serve our children, it's not because they've earned it or they've, okay, you've been particularly good <laughs> this week, so I'm going to serve you. That's not the idea. It's, hey, as, as a step of faith and obedience to the Lord, uh, I'm choosing to serve you. Uh, it, it's it's uh, reminiscent of Colossians 3.23. And, and the idea there is, whatever you do, do it heartily unto the Lord and not unto uh, man, not unto people. So we're serving the Lord in the things that we do. I promise every sentence and clause will not be this long. Go ahead. <laughs> For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Go ahead and stop there for just a second. The, um, so what we're going to see in this next section is really primarily directed towards the husbands. And ladies, let, and maybe your husband does this, so I'm not assuming that he doesn't, but uh, how would you feel about this if you knew beyond the shadow of a doubt your husband loves you as Christ loved the church and gave himself for, uh, anybody celebrate that? Yes, I would love that. Three of you? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Seriously, would that be Okay. If your husband loved you like Christ loved the church, he was willing to not, not just die for you, but also live for you, would that be okay? I have never, ever, ever heard a wife go, nah, that's not for me. Uh, mm, no thanks. No, there is something about that. Yes, you love me that much. I, I, I am willing to serve with you. I am willing to, we're gonna go, we're on the same page. What I have heard though, is a few men who have said, you know what? I don't think I want to do that. I don't think I want to sacrifice like that because it, it doesn't seem like my sacrifice is even appreciated. We'll get into that a little bit later when we're talking about respect, but the reality is that this is an imperative. In other words, it's a command. Uh, it's not dependent on some sort of transaction. You earned it, therefore I will love you that way. No, you've entered into this covenant relationship with your spouse. It's your responsibility to love that way as Christ loved. Uh, big statement. I recognize it's not easy. That's why we need the Spirit of God. It's a part of the, the way that we apply the gospel in our day-to-day -day situations, and especially when the other spouse doesn't earn it. Let's continue on. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Before we go to the next verse, I want you to consider this. When a husband and wife are living this out, look at the message that is for the children. They're seeing literally God at work, the Spirit of God at work in the family, in the home, and it's part of how they are ultimately going to see God. Ah, I see the way that dad sacrificially loves my mom. Hey, that's kind of like how God loves us. I see how mom loves dad and respects him, just like we're supposed to respect Christ. This makes sense. Uh, The picture is there and is the model for our homes. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There is a a lot of ownership for men in this, that the reality is we're accountable to God for the direction of our families, that as you see in this passage, it's not a laissez-faire okay, well, I was at work all day and it was really hard. Now I'm going to come home and you just keep doing what you're doing. But an opportunity for us to interact and and to be a blessing. And yeah, sometimes that's really hard and sometimes it comes at a sacrifice, but that's the imperative, the call of Christ in our lives. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So again, in the family relationship, there is a place for children, and and a part of that is obedience. And as we said earlier, that there are some lies that we've adopted, but the reality is there is nobody who wants you to succeed more than your parents. There is also, sure, sometimes it's misguided. Absolutely, that happens from time to time. Nobody wants that success more than your parents, presumably, especially in Christ. And so the idea that we're being obedient to our parents. And again, I don't see an age limit on this, <laughs> that uh, this, this obedience is to the Lord and as a step of faith. Let's keep going. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So uh, I, I think the Spirit of God knows the hearts of mankind <laughs> so well. And one of the things that uh, I recognize uh, growing up in southern Indiana in an agricultural community, uh, I think this is special. I saw this uh, a lot. And very frankly, these things can be temptations for all of us, and that's to be harsh. Okay, as a point of discipline, this is what needs to happen, and we we can come across very harsh and actually uh, break spirits of our kids. And we have to be so careful of that. Some things, some, just a practical step I want to encourage us. Um, we, Cindy and I, we have a uh, marriage counselor that we've seen. They're, they're kind of marriage coaches. We love them. Uh, they're, they're fantastic. And it's not because things were falling apart. It's just because, hey, there could be some blind spots that I have. <laughs> and, and, and maybe someone could help speak to them. 
And uh, as, as we went and met with our coaches, one of the things that they said is, we want to encourage a coffee time where you sit across from each other face to face, not the side-by-side stuff, not while you're working in one room and she's in the other and having kind of a half conversation, but face to face, eyes to eyes, <laughs> and, and have a conversation. And these are some of the things that you can talk about. Hey, how am I doing at loving you? Do you feel like I'm loving you as Christ loved the church? And by the way, this is a safe time where you can say, no, I don't. And you've blown it, and here's why. And this is a safe time where she can say, uh, how am I doing at respecting you? Do you feel respected? Do you feel cared for in this way? But this is also a time where you can have these kind of conversations. Hey, uh, you were pretty hard on the kids. And, and I think we want, we want to talk that out a little bit. Uh, I'm not saying that they didn't need discipline, nothing like that. I just want to make sure that we don't provoke our kids to anger. So let's have this conversation. And, and I'll just tell you, and I don't want to do this because this is being recorded, and I don't want to do this because I don't really want to be vulnerable like this, but uh, I, I think it's important for us that there have been some times where Cindy's had to have that conversation with me to say, you came off a little too harsh. And... and I think, I think it would be good for you to go back and have this conversation with one of our kids because the way you intended it and the way that it was received, I think, are different. So would you do that? Uh, and we've done. And I'm telling you, I am so thankful for the Lord's provision in my life, and Cindy isn't the least of that. She is one of the greatest gifts I've ever had, and in that respect has been so helpful in our family dynamic. And I want to encourage that for you as well. Give each other permission to have those conversations uh, kids, it's a little bit different uh, to have that kind of conversation with your parent. But there are those places, and I would encourage your parents, if we can be a safe place to open up to have that conversation. Hey, Dad, you said that, and I'm coming to you humbly. That that, that kind of stung in a way that I I don't I can't get past that. Can we talk mm -hmm. some more? I mean, a, a humble conversation. I think parents will receive those way better. Let's talk about this fourth one, and that's, that's that navigation piece. How do we get back, right? Sometimes we get off course, oh, the winds and waves have blown us a little bit, and, and we need to recalibrate. We need to change our trajectory. It happens all the time. I think uh, in our own families, it can just be in a day. Things were great last night, and now this morning, I don't know what happened. Uh, the kids didn't get Captain Crunch. They didn't clean up after themselves, whatever it is. Uh, things are a mess. We're agitated. Nobody rested well last night. And now we went from just a beautiful family experience last night to, why did I decide to do this? And questioning everything. And, and so calibration is a big piece of it. And I know, Lou, that this is, this is one that's kind of close to your heart uh, yeah. uh, about... Um, how to go back to the very beginning. Yeah. In 2007, 2008, kids started getting uh, Google on their phones. They can instantly access any information at any time. And um, I remember uh, well, there was a girl in my class, and um, I think her parents like took her door down because she had boys over whatever. And so she Googled, um, are my parents wrong to do this? Well, she found her answer. Yeah, sure. You can find any answer on the internet. <laughs> you can find whatever you want to justify yourself. 
But if we go back to the Bible and see that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, not Google, not TikTok, not friends, it's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And if you want to be wise, which I think most people do, that's where to start, this fear, this holy terror of understanding where you are at in comparison to God, which, if you don't know, isn't close. <laughs> right. Now, that's a really good point, that we, we, stand, we are going to stand in front of the one who can perfectly judge rightly, good and evil, right from wrong, to discern the intention of the hearts and the justifications that we sometimes give. God is going to be able to discern the difference. And, and to be able to go, okay, this is the God of the universe who spoke and worlds were created uh, humbly in front of him. I need him. I, I need that God. As opposed to, this is my buddy, this is my friend. Oh, God, you know, we have this great relationship. Sometimes, sometimes that flippancy uh, is what takes us off course. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that. Uh, let's go ahead and go to... Uh, the, the next piece. Maintain the fruit of the Spirit. So uh, I, I'll go ahead and let you grab that. Yeah, um, knowing all nine of them, <laughs> I can't think of them off the top of my head. You got them? Okay. Yeah, I got Oh, Thanks for putting me on the spot. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, let's try it. <laughs> right. uh, so love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Nailed it. So, yeah, when we, and that's, by the way, it's fruit, not fruits, yeah. not plural, it's fruit. It's one, it's a cluster of nine. And the, this cluster of nine, I, I think uh, we're constantly asking, is this true in my home? Do we see these things? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Are they present? If they're not present, then it may be time to calibrate and go back to the fear of the Lord. But the, the fruit of the Spirit is a big piece of that. Um, Lou, do you, uh, how do you manage that just even in your, your own life? I'm thinking of how you, you grew up in the home, and uh, I know there were times where uh, this, this isn't always easy to experience. Yeah, it, it's not the default for sure. There's, there's so much in the church that you see that's hard to swallow sometimes. Um, and, and being a kid and growing up in that atmosphere, you assume everything's supposed to be perfect, and when it's not, it's crushing. So where do you go to? You have to go back to the word. You have to go back to the fruit of the spirit and calibrate yourself, not based on what other Christians are doing, not based on what your parents are doing, but what God says. Yeah, that's really good. The, the, the final piece of this is forgiveness. Remember Jesus' prayer, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us that there is a great need that we have for forgiveness and grace in our homes. Like we said, right from the very beginning, we're all going to mess up. Like, none of us is going to, we're not, nobody bats a thousand in this. Uh, there are going to be some big strikeouts uh, in, in parenting and in growing up as children. And so the need for forgiveness is big. I recognize that as I say this, that some of you may be dealing with some wounds that came from parents that still are very, um, very fresh or very open. And so I, I, I want to share a couple of things that perhaps will help. One is forgiveness is not justifying a behavior or a situation. It's not saying that was okay. 
It's also not, uh, we don't need to be asked for forgiveness to offer forgiveness. That doesn't have to be there, uh, relationally speaking. And then um, I, I recognize that sometimes this is a really hard piece to understand, and we use this term a lot, forgive and forget. And, and I'll just tell you, I don't think that that's always a very biblical stance. I'll give you the, this illustration. So uh, as we're kind of wrapping up our time, let's just say this. I go to Lou and I say, hey, Lou, um, I need 100 bucks. Lou says, yeah, Dad, I'll give you 100 bucks, but I need you to give that back on Tuesday. Can you do that? Yep, absolutely, Lou. He gives me 100 bucks. I take it. Tuesday comes. I'm like, Lou, ugh, I'm so sorry. I don't have that money. And he goes, okay, well, how about next Tuesday? I say, okay. Next Tuesday comes, but I don't even look at Lou. I'm trying to ignore him. He recognizes Dad's not going to give me that 100 bucks. So he says, hey, Dad, it's more important that you and I are in a right relationship. I don't want there to be weirdness between us. I want you to know you don't owe me anything. That moment is forgiveness. You don't owe me anything. That's forgiveness. Now, if I go back to him on Tuesday and say, hey, Lou, I need another 100 bucks, then he's silly for, <laughs> for giving it to me, right? That's what I'm saying. Forgive and forget, doesn't, that's not good. But he might say this, too. He might say, Dad, I can't, I can't give you 100 bucks, but what I can do is give you two bucks. And when you pay that two bucks back, uh, I'll give you, we'll, we'll talk more. And that two becomes five, and I pay that back, and then it's 10, and I pay that back, and then it's 20, and I pay that back, and it's 50, and I pay that back. And we build that back up. That's called restoration. We're restoring. That's not forgiveness. That's restoration. We're restoring a relationship. When we get to the point where I go, here's that 100 bucks back, we're better than where we started. That's reconciliation. So forgiveness, what we're asking for is, you don't owe me anything. We're not talking, we don't have to talk about this again. It's done. We're a zero. So I, I share that uh, because the worship team's going to be coming here in just a second. And as they're coming, what Lou and I would like to do for you today is we, we want to pray for you, recognizing that there could be a large spectrum of prayer that we have today, and, and we just want to take some time in our service to do that. So it may be that today you're saying, you know what, I, I have some hurts and some wounds, and I'm struggling. Like one day I can forgive, and the next day I bring it back up, and I'm, I'm angry about it, and I, I need to forgive. And my step of faith in this is forgiveness. That may be you, and we're going to ask you in just a moment to, to stand and allow us to pray for you. You might be in a different place, though, where you're saying, you know, I, I want to serve my family, and I want to be really good at it, and I want to take that next step of faith as a way of me serving the Lord. I want to serve my family, and so I'm just asking you for some prayer today, okay? That may be a part of the spectrum, and we'll pray for you. It may also be that you're just saying, you know what? We as a family, we're on this mission together. We love the Lord. We're going in the same direction. And we just want God's strength and blessing in our life. If that's you, then we'll ask you to stand up in just a moment as well. As the music's playing, we want to give you just, uh, again, a few moments to go, okay, do I need, do I need some prayer today? In, in the way that Kenny just described, do I need some prayer? And if so, then we'll ask you to stand up just right where you are. We're not pointing you out. It doesn't mean you're a bad person or anything like that. It just means you're like all of us and we need strength. And so that's what, if, if you're in a place after just a, a quiet moment that you need that prayer, stand up and we'll pray for you. We'll give you a few moments right now to consider that.
go ahead and stand. This is part of why we gather, right? For the sake of Christ. Because we need Jesus and we want to honor him in our daily lives. As I begin to pray, if you feel the need, if you sense that this is what you're also wanting, feel free to stand up at any time. I'm going to start and Lou's going to close us. Jesus, just today as we come together, I, I first of all want to ask for forgiveness. On behalf of our families, there have been times where we have walked in unforgiveness. There have been times when we've received the grace from you that you so freely gave and then we held it and we didn't offer it. And sometimes because of deep wounds, sometimes because of hurts. And so, Father, first of all, on behalf of those of us here today, I just would ask for forgiveness. And Lord, I, I, I pray now that as our step of faith from this moment, that you would help us to be um, ready and willing to forgive. And Lord, just as a step of faith in this moment, I ask that you would um, be exalted and help us, Lord, to be husbands and wives, dads and moms and children who are willing to serve one another, not, not because somehow we're earning something, but because we're honoring you in it and you have a plan and that plan is a beautiful plan and that plan speaks to life and we want families that have life, Lord, knowing that if there is some sort of revival in our homes, that if our hearts are really turned to our children and our children's hearts are really turned to you in Christ, that there could be revival in that home and if there are revival in those homes, that there will be life and there'll be healing and there'll be goodness and your grace and your mercy will be seen and experienced in ways that the world uh, can't duplicate. And so Lord, I would pray for that even now as our next step of faith. God, I pray for this group. Lord, we recognize that being your child is hard that there's a spiritual warfare going on every day inside our hearts and minds and that the frustrations are deep and the confusion is so, so there and palatable. Lord, I, I pray that today there would be healing and that, Lord, you would just bless this group and that when they go back home today with their families, that there would be profound re restoration. We love you, Lord. Amen.